0: From the conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day.
1: The Hamas attack on Israel, which came out of the blue, has unleashed a horrific conflict. The Palestinians brutally murdered Israeli civilians, and they're holding and threatening to execute many hostages. Israel has countered with a massive aerial bombing campaign and has cut off electricity, water, and food going into the Gaza Strip. Even against the history of the conflict-ridden Middle East, the atrocities we've been seeing are beyond shocking. And where things will go from here is unpredictable and alarming. Today we're joined by Ian Parmiter, an expert on the Middle East, to explore the background and the implications of these events. Ian Palmiter is a research scholar at the Centre for Arab and Islamic Studies at the Australian National University. From 2004 to 2015, he was Assistant Director General at the Office of National Assessments, responsible for the Office's analysis of Middle Eastern and South Asian issues. Before that, he was in the Department of Foreign Affairs for 25 years, where he had diplomatic postings in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Russia and Lebanon. In Lebanon, he was the ambassador. Ian Palmiter, Hamas's attack came as a huge shock. Can you just sketch out the background for us?
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, it's been a very turbulent year within Israel itself. Israel always has differently forming governments. It's had four governments in the last five years, and that's because of its proportional representation system. But a very right-wing government was put together by the current Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, in December last year, 2022. And this right-wing government has been intent on allowing a settlement expansion in the West Bank and uh, has also indicated that it wants eventually annex the West Bank. Um, this has made Palestinians and various Arab states feel that the peace process itself is going nowhere. What has particularly upset the Palestinians, I think, is that a number of Arab states have just now decided to make their own peace agreements with, with Israel. We've um, already had Egypt back in the uh, late 70s then Jordan in 1994, and in 2020, the Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco. And now um, Saudi Arabia is talking of, of normalizing its relationships with, with Israel. That really has left the Palestinians with the sense that uh, they are really at the bottom of the queue. And Netanyahu has actually said this directly that uh, he will make peace with the Palestinians after making peace with all the Arab states. I think as well, we need to think in terms of the religious dimension. One of the right-wing Israeli ministers, uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, made a point of visiting uh, a holy site for for Muslims, the Al-Aqsa Sanctuary, which is the third most holy place for Islam. It's the site where Muhammad is... uh, uh, the Prophet Muhammad is uh, is is said to have ascended into heaven, and uh, for for Palestinians, for for Palestinian Muslims, that's uh, that's a very serious issue, and um, this is reflected in the fact that Hamas has called its its operation that it launched on Saturday Operation Al Aqsa Flood, meaning that it, it is attempting to to bring the Al-Aqsa issue to the front and centre of the way that um, Muslims in other parts of the Arab world but also in uh, throughout the world uh, see what what's happening there at the moment. One other point, one thing we're not certain of just in terms of why Hamas is doing this at this time is that uh, Hamas is only one of several radical groups in Gaza and we know that they periodically have infighting it's not, we don't have evidence of this, but it's quite possible that Hamas, in launching this attack at this time, was seeking to reassert its authority over, over the other um, uh, Islamist groupings in, in Gaza.
1: Israel is set on massive retaliation against Hamas. What's it doing now and what's its ultimate objective in this conflict? Will it send in ground forces, for instance?
0: Netanyahu has made clear that Hamas is going to be destroyed from his perspective. Uh, how he, exactly he's going to do that, he hasn't made clear uh, as yet. The problem for uh, the Israelis is that perhaps as many as 100 Israelis, uh, military and civilian, are now held as hostages uh, inside Gaza and if uh, a major attack on Gaza is, is launched, uh, those hostages' lives will, will be at risk. In fact, Hamas has already said that if Israel bombs a building without giving warning to the occupants of the building, that they should evacuate. And surprisingly, that has happened in the past. Israel has given warning of uh, of a decision to bomb a building where they say there is a military target. So that civilians can can leave and not be killed in the uh, in the destruction that if it does it again it will kill a hostage Now that is going to put enormous pressure on on israel Israel uh, is has always been reluctant to to send ground forces into Gaza because it's an extraordinarily difficult environment uh to fight a ground war in If you think of Gaza, it's about a quarter of the size of Hobart. Uh, and has two million people in it. I mean, we're talking here about uh, an extraordinary concentration of people and and buildings, and uh, which, of course, is much easier for defenders to fight in than 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 attackers. If Israel sends ground forces in, there will doubtless be many casualties. Uh, Netanyahu may feel he has no choice but to do this, but we'll just have to have to wait and see. He hasn't made this clear uh, at at this stage.
1: So can Israel get regime change here? Can it uh, destroy Hamas? Well, the problem
0: is Hamas is an ideology as much as a, an organisation. And destroying an ideology is is extremely difficult. The problem for Israel is that it may decapitate Hamas in the sense of killing the leadership, but almost certainly um, other leaders will, will arise. Uh, Hamas uh, has... Uh, was has been around for a long time. It was first formed in 1987 at the time of the first Intifada uh, when Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza and also within Israel rose up against uh, what they saw as, uh, uh, as, as strong Israeli repression that was occurring at, at that time. And that Intifada killed a lot of Israelis, killed a lot of Palestinians. But uh, at the end, uh, really nothing was resolved. Uh, we did have the Oslo Accords that were signed uh, between Arafat, um, who was head of the PLO, and also Yitzhak Rabin, who was the Prime Minister of Israel, but they were meant to lead to peace within a designated timeframe, and they have clearly failed. Uh, so uh, for, for Palestinian militants, there seems no, nothing they can do now except express their grievances through violence. And how Israel can deal with this is, is is has always been a difficult problem and remains a difficult problem.
1: So what are the prospects of other groups and uh, neighbouring countries becoming involved, militants, uh, for example, in the West Bank? And uh, what's the role of Iran in all this?
0: Yes, starting with the militants in the West Bank first, they are becoming increasingly militant because there has been a lot of tension between settlers in the West Bank and uh, and uh, Palestinians uh, who are who are living there. Uh, and one of the consequences of this is that a uh, a small group of well, we don't know how large it is, but uh, a group of radicals uh, which calls itself the Lion's Den has established itself, which carries out violent acts against Israeli settlers. They they will almost certainly get involved, I I think. I'll be very surprised if they don't. I haven't seen indications of they're doing anything yet, but we are, of course, all concentrated on what's happening in Gaza and southern Israel.
1: And what about Hezbollah, for example?
0: Yes, as far as Hezbollah is concerned, Hezbollah will do what Iran tells it to do. Uh, Hezbollah is a creature of, of Iran. Uh, it's based in Lebanon, uh, it has already sent some rockets into Israel, but it's been traditionally thought that Iran wants to keep Hezbollah as an insurance policy uh, in case Israel, or for that matter the United States, decides to attack the nuclear facilities that Iran has um, in deep in, in caverns in, in, in Iran. And it doesn't want Uh, Hezbollah to fire all the rockets and missiles that it has and leave uh, the chances of it being being able to retaliate on Iran's behalf if there's an attack on Iran, just just not able to be done. So we'll just have to wait and see. What Iran's thinking on this is is not clear. It's it's obviously supported what uh, Hamas is doing, and it supports Hamas, but you would expect that. Whether it's going to get Hezbollah become actively involved in the fighting, uh, I can't say at this stage. We will probably know that in the next few days. A point, though, is that if Hezbollah does become involved and starts sending large numbers of rockets into Israel, that will put Israel's Iron Dome defense system, which shoots down incoming rockets, under great strain because it will be being attacked from two sides. So we'll have to wait and see. If I can just go on quickly to the uh, the other neighbouring states, Syria, of course, doesn't have a peace agreement with with Israel. But Syria has, is still, in fact, in in the in the midst of a of a of a major civil war. It's it's virtually won it, but I can't see Syria wanting to take on Israel at at this time. Uh, Israel would very quickly attack Syria through, through a bombing, which could actually start to destabilise the country again. And Bashar al-Assad, uh, the uh, the ruler of Syria, won't want that to, to happen. Iran itself won't get involved, and I certainly can't see Egypt or or any of the Gulf states or uh, Saudi Arabia becoming directly involved. Egypt, in fact, may try to mediate uh, between Israel and, and Hamas. But mediating between them at this stage will be very difficult if if Israel is trying to uh, take out Hamas completely. I don't see scope for mediation at this time.
1: And presumably the uh, negotiations for better relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia will be put on hold.
0: Well, I assume that's the case. There's been no formal statement of this sort uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mohammed bin Salman, the, the uh, crown prince and the effective ruler of Saudi Arabia, did say outright that uh, Saudi Arabia was very close to coming to an agreement with uh, with Israel. Uh, I haven't seen any further statements since the Hamas attacks on Saturday from Mohammed bin Salman, but I think it would be a very bad look for uh, Saudi Arabia, among other Arab states. If it actually were to continue with the peace process with Israel at a time when when other Arabs are being attacked by, by Israel, I think we can assume at this stage that that peace process is on hold and we'll have to wait until some form of, of truce or settlement is worked out between uh, Israel and Hamas.
1: What kind of effect do you think this conflict will have domestically on uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's leadership? He's already been under criticism on a range of domestic issues.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I I think Netanyahu at this stage is extremely worried um, for two reasons. Obviously, for the security of Israel, and uh, as Prime Minister, he bears primary responsibility for Israel's security, but secondly and the
1: failure of intelligence of
0: course yes that's right and i perhaps get on to that in just a moment but the other thing with netanyahu is that leaders who preside over a surprise attack on uh, on israel don't tend to last very long the last one who, who really was caught in this way was golda meir in 1973 when she was Prime Minister of Israel, and Israel was caught napping at about this time in October 1973 uh, by a surprise attack from Egypt and and Syria. And it took a great deal of effort and, in fact, uh, considerable American support uh, for Israel to get back on top of the uh, the situation. But the point is, and Netanyahu will be aware of this, uh, Golda Meir was gone. Within six months, she wasn't able to to survive that uh, because it was seen as being a failure of her administration that they were caught napping, as it were, uh, in in this way. So Netanyahu will certainly be looking for his own safety here. And he actually has a vested interest in staying in the prime ministership uh, because he is subject to, to various charges at present, which he denies related to fraud and these uh, court cases are still ongoing, it's unlikely that he would be convicted and sent to jail if if convicted while he's Prime Minister. But if he's not Prime Minister, all bets are off on that.
1: So are you suggesting this could bring him down? Unless he is able to
0: re-establish full credibility with the Israeli public and with the Israeli Knesset, he, he His position will be in serious danger, yes.
1: President Biden has said that the US has Israel's back and uh, the Americans are moving some ships closer to it. What further role do you think uh, America might play in this conflict?
0: I've seen a report that the United States has uh, provided some munitions to, to Israel. Uh, And certainly, if if Israel needs any material support, uh, the United States will provide that. I certainly don't think that US troops are going to get involved on the ground uh, on this. Israel has the numbers to be able to defeat Hamas, but the Americans will not want to get involved in what could be a very dangerous ground assault uh, within Gaza itself. Um, They'll give all support, all moral support, all material support, but I don't think they, they have any intention of getting involved militarily themselves.
1: Do you think that uh, aspects of the Israeli response, notably stopping food and water uh, into Gaza, could turn international opinion against Israel? And also, how will Hamas's attack affect the sympathy that Palestinians have had in much of the Western world?
0: Yes. Uh, looking at the at the first issue, Israel has a has a difficult problem with its uh, international relations in the sense that the peace process has effectively uh, stopped working. The idea of a two-state solution is uh, is virtually dead at this point, and Israel is seen as being, a, or seen by by many in the West, as being a country which is not doing enough to try to resolve the, the peace process. I mean, there are arguments for and against that, and Israel, of course, can make the point that it's already making peace with individual Arab states, which is which is true enough. But the difficulty for Israel is that in cutting off food, electricity and water, you could have, after a relatively short time, a humanitarian disaster unfolding among civilians in in Gaza. And well, very quickly, you'd think. Very quickly, yes, in a very short time. Uh, and the uh, consequence will be that uh, you know, we could, we'll have civilians dying. We'll have pictures of, of, of babies who are, who are uh, uh, essentially uh, dehydrated and, and that sort of thing. And how long Israel can keep that up is, is very uncertain. I don't think they can actually do that uh, for, for, for very long. They need to come up with something else. I see this at this stage as being uh, an urgent response by Israel to show that it is taking on uh, uh, Hamas and trying to make Hamas suffer. But uh, Israel could well suffer in, in much the same way. As far as support for Palestinians is concerned, I tend to think that that's probably baked in in many ways by people who support them. The point of um, uh, of support for Palestine is that those who who are most adamant in that certainly believe that Palestinians have been given a very a very bad deal uh ever since the creation of the state of israel in in nineteen forty eight and that uh, they've never been able to to have their their grievances properly addressed uh There will of course be criticism of uh killing of civilians, but that will be tempered I think by supporters of Palestine, by saying that Israel is doing the same thing. Uh, I don't actually see support for Israel among the baked-on supporters actually reducing much. Um, As far as Australia is concerned, we've tried to be even-handed. We support peace in the Middle East and we support uh, the the, the meeting of the the rights of the two peoples uh, to live in peace. But we're we're certainly not pro-Palestinian. If anything, over the years... Since uh, essentially the Howard government, uh, we've become more pro-Israeli.
1: Will Australia, and indeed, of course, other countries, see any economic effects from this new war? Will it have serious implications for oil prices, for example, and and thus inflation?
0: Well, conflict in the Middle East so often does lead to um, global rise in oil prices. I understand that uh, only about twenty percent of australia 's oil actually comes from directly from the Middle East. We get it from from other parts of of the world very largely, um, but if the price goes up, the international price goes up, the prices here will go up and certainly will have an effect on uh, on inflation we 'll have to wait and and see on that uh, it 's not as if there's instability in Saudi Arabia or in any of the uh, uh, the Gulf states that are exporters of oil but uh, tensions in the region uh, always have, have the effect of worrying people about what might happen in the future and the consequence is that there's a there is a strong risk that oil prices could go up substantially I think they've they've already gone up somewhat and the result will be inevitably higher oil prices in Australia and that will affect the price of not only of fuel in Australia but of other goods that are carried to Australia.
1: We saw in Sydney on Monday night demonstrators supporting the Palestinians who were chanting hateful anti-Jewish slogans. They were in front of the opera house which had been lit with the Israeli colours. Is there a serious danger of this conflict spilling over into tensions in Australia?
0: Well, Australia has a significant uh, Arab community. The Palestinian community is not nearly that large. Uh, most of the community, the Arab community in Australia is actually of Lebanese background. But a point that I've found out really through many postings in the Middle East is that the Australian Arab community is not really united on uh, uh, on, on many issues. They tend to think in terms of specific community issues. Uh, just uh, what will happen in terms of demonstration? Certainly ugly demonstrations will cause Australians who have got no particular affiliation towards one side or another uh, to feel that, that's, um, uh, that they, they really don't like what, what they're, they're seeing. And uh, some of the, the slogans have been really very offensive. They've come down almost to, to well, could, they could be defined as, as hate speech. And that's a very risky thing for supporters of Palestine to do, because they do risk alienating people who might otherwise be persuaded by by reasoned uh, arguments.
1: So do you think that uh, the government should try to uh, seek out community leaders and uh, attempt to defuse this situation?
0: I think that would be a good idea. I don't know if that's being done at this stage. I do know that uh, various ministers speaking on behalf of Israel uh, this morning uh, on the radio. I don't know if they're reaching out to Arab community leaders at this point, but it could be a good idea to do so. I hope that they do. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if they are at this point. Of course, there is also the state aspect of this as well. And uh, various uh, states, particularly New South Wales and, uh, and Victoria, would have a role to play in this.
1: Yes, and we've seen already some very strong statements from the New South Wales Premier, Ian Palmer. Thank you very much for being with us today to talk through this very complicated situation. That's all for today's Politics podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back with another interview soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find
0: more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.